Hey, it's Bob Stoffer. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Oilers Now ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer, Weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. You know, this buds all over the city have been speaking out for the great taste of Franklin. Having the opportunity to play with these fellas, Gretzky, Messier, Coffee, Curry, uh, Anderson, the list goes on. They are Legends of the Game. Brought to you by Touchback Safety, Alberta's number one training provider. This is Legends of the Game on Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Only on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. It's been a wildly popular segment since we brought it aboard. Brendan Escott with you steering the ship, but for the next, well, basically hour and 15 minutes or so, we're we're all about uh, Kevin Lowe and his very, very storied history with the Oilers franchise. Bob recorded this interview with Kevin yesterday. I believe Kevin's down in California right now, uh, but he loaned us a tremendous amount of his time. For that, we are appreciative, and without further ado, we'll kickstart the Legend Series. Here is Bob Stoffer talking to Kevin Lowe. Well, Kevin, thank you for taking time uh, to join us on our Legends Series. I know you probably don't consider yourself to be a legend in Edmonton, uh, but you were recently uh, you know, put into the Alberta Hockey Hall of Fame. What was that like for you? Uh, it, was, uh, it was really a fun, uh, fun event, uh, Bob. I, um, first of all, it's, you know, it's, it's humbling and I'm honored to be part of it, uh, coming to Edmonton, you know, 40 plus years ago and knowing the, uh, the immense hockey history that Edmonton and Alberta has, you know, the names of guys like Al Hamilton and Bill Hunter and, and Johnny Busick and, you know, the list goes on and on long before the Edmonton Oilers of the National Hockey League started to make a name for themselves. So, uh, you know, the Oil Kings and the Mercuries and the Edmonton Flyers, and, you know, it goes on and on. So to be considered in that group uh, as a part of a part of uh, Alberta's hockey history is really flattering. And uh, uh, it was a beautiful weekend in Canmore. Um, hockey Alberta does an amazing job. You know, they're an emerging group, and, uh, you know, they need all the support they can have. They... They use that um, the proceeds from those events, uh, the golf tournament particularly, for grassroots hockey in Alberta, and uh, and um, so it, all in all, it was a beautiful weekend in Canmore, and and uh, really enjoyed being there with my family and friends. Uh, it was interesting because I believe Theron Fleury was also inducted, as was uh, the Medicine Hat Tigers and Bob Ridley. Uh, so some interesting sort of. You know, story, I mean, Medicine Hat was a dominant team in the late 80s, uh, back-to-back Memorial Cup champs. You, of course, were a star major junior player. And then there's Theo Fleury, and what a special player he was. 
Yeah, it it uh, it was an eclectic group for sure. It was a nice contrast, you know, the Battle of Alberta with Theo going in. I mean, he spoke so eloquently uh, uh, for where he's been in his life. Uh, obviously, his hockey career, um, you know, goes without saying. But what he's doing now for mental illness is is wonderful, and uh, you know, had actually spent three days with Theo and really enjoyed it. Uh, he's a real gentleman. Uh, and then uh, you mentioned the Taggers. Uh, you know, Bob Ridley is uh, is legendary for doing what he did, being the bus driver for all those years, and also the play-by-play guy is just amazing. What a, what a gentleman he is. And then, yeah, the two Memorial Cup Medicine Hat Tagger teams. Uh, uh, Willie Desjardins was there. Russ Farwell was there. Uh, Ryan McGill, just to name some of the some of the people. Um, uh, Brian Maxwell also. Uh, so it, it you know. Uh, and there was also um, um, Shirley Cameron of the Edmonton Chimos, right. who, um, you know, hearing her story, wow, was just flattering and, and an honor to be a part of what she de- she did. And also uh, uh, Duncan McDougall on the officiating side, who's uh, both uh, Edmontonians. Well, um, um, uh, Shirley lives in on Vancouver Island now, but Duncan still lives in Edmonton and plays golf at the Mayfair and. And what a gentleman he is. And his 100-year-old dad was there as well, uh, just in great health and a real gentleman. So uh, all in all, uh, a wonderful weekend uh, at the uh, Hockey Alberta uh, um, Hall of Fame inductions. All right, uh, Kevin, you know there's been a lot of recognition, obviously, for the uh, the terrific later teams that you were part of. And when you're at an event like that, I mean, does it just – not that – because in the boys in the bus – you were you were referred to sort of like as the historian of the group, and Wayne Gretzky has said before, Kevin Lowe was the glue of our group. He was the guy that could talk to anybody and communicate and and get along with anybody on the team. And does it make you maybe I, I don't you know appreciate things more at this stage in your career to think back to be part of that group? Yeah, I, I think it's always the case, just in life, Bob. That. You, the older you get, the more you appreciate things. You know, you appreciate life. You appreciate what you had. Um, I, in fact, uh, just got a uh, a text message from Brian Leach uh, the day before yesterday. Uh, it was to Wayne and to Mark and myself, and he was in. Um, I believe his uh, he's on Cape Cod, is where he lives in the summer, and he had a whole bunch of kids, and they were having a Sunday uh, barbecue and what have you, playing games and stuff, and then. All of a sudden, I guess the boys on the bus came on NHL Network, and he said the entire group stopped and watched the entire uh, movie. And he and he said uh, he said for me, and this is Brian Leach, one of the great defensemen of all time. He's he's messaging us saying it was you know it was it was so uh, such an honor for me to be able to say to all those kids that I knew you guys, I played with you guys. He said that you know that that movie in itself, the boys on the bus, is you know again speaks to Glenn Sather's leadership to, to, to give that access to to Bob McCune and Terry McCune and Mike Bolin, who, who produced and filmed the movie. Uh, and, um, you know, I think your your question is to, to me is about leadership. And uh, I, I, I mean, I got much of it from my from my family life, but also from guys like Glenn Sather and Lee Fogelin and and Al Hamilton. Um, you know, it's it it's. You you have a responsibility in the game, and you know not everybody can lead, but the ones that 
that have the capability need to lead and, and, you know, do it with dignity and honor. And I, I like to think that that's how I conduct myself. We're joined right now by Kevin Lowe, Vice Chair, Oilers Entertainment Group on our Legends of the Game series. Kevin, uh, let's get to let's get to sort of the embryonic stages with that Oilers group, that Oilers team that you were a part of. Um, I think they got on the radar screen really with the 1981 playoff sweep of the Montreal Canadiens. What was that like for a guy from Lachute, Quebec, to beat Guy Lafleur? and the Montreal Canadiens in three straight games at that time? I, I guess the one word to describe it is surreal. Uh, you know, I uh, that was uh, year two of my NHL career. You know, you're still trying to establish, establish yourself as, a, <clears throat> as an NHL player. Um, I don't, I mean, I think at least from my perspective. I don't know how the other guys felt, but I, I think I'd part of echo how everybody felt at the time. You know, we were going in there, you know, hoping that we could win a game, uh, you know, hoping that we're not going to get embarrassed by the great Montreal Canadiens. And, uh, you know, a couple things happened. Um, uh, Andy Moog came out of nowhere and stood on his head. Uh, and then it was the emergence of, you know, Wayne had already emerged Yari really started to emerge, and and Mark, and, but particularly Paul Coffey. That was really, I think, that was really his coming out party to to the NHL world. I mean, he he scored a couple unbelievable goals in that series, and and you know, it's one thing to beat the Montreal Canadiens, but to go in and sweep them on home ice. I mean, I think Montreal was just completely in shock. The city, the players. Uh, nobody saw this happening, and um, you know, I'm not, I, I can't say for certain that it gave the group a ton of confidence that we would become a great team. I, I think in some respects we thought we were a little bit lucky because Andy played so well in nets, but we did go on to play the Islanders in the next round, and I believe that year uh, the only two games the Islanders lost in the playoffs were against us in that second series. So I guess that was a little bit of foreshadowing for what would become of, of the Edmonton Oilers in the coming years. We're in our Legends of the Game series. It's brought to you by Touchback Safety, Alberta's number one training provider, Bob Stoffer with Vice Chair Oilers Entertainment. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Introducing Royal Caribbean's newest ship, Icon of the Seas, the ultimate family vacation. The ultimate six slides, eight neighborhoods, zero compromise vacation. The ultimate never done that, can't wait to do it vacation. The ultimate chillin' by a different pool every day of the week vacation. This is the Icon of Vacations. Icon of the Seas, arriving in 2024. Book today. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry Bahamas. Group Kevin Lowe. We'll get back to that conversation as we step aside here. Brendan Escott steering the ship right now on Oilers Now. This is Legends of the Game on Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Only on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. Brendan Escott with you. 
Bob Stoffer in conversation with Kevin Lowe yesterday as part of the Legends of the Game series. Let's get right back to it. Sometimes you need to learn how to lose before you learn how to win. Uh, Los Angeles, 1982. Specifically, uh, Kevin, uh, game number three, up 5 nothing. Some tough lessons there, wasn't there? Oh, yeah, it, it doesn't get any worse than that, I guess, in terms of learning a lesson. Um, I mean, I don't know if if there's many other games in NHL history where a team's been leading by five goals going in the third period in a playoff game and lost. And uh, that was such a roller coaster series. You know, L.A. was L.A. had a lot of great players. Of course, they had the triple crown line. They had a, a lot of good young players. Uh, they weren't dissimilar to the Oilers. Uh, Marcel Dion was a bonafide star, and Dave Taylor, Charlie Simmer, and you know, they had young guys on defense that were, were really good players, and, and, you know, they got some goaltending. But the irony of that whole series that we lost, <clears throat> we lost in five. Uh, and, of course, if you people remember in the, er, you know, in the early 80s, the, the first round of the playoffs was a three out of five. Was that um, the two games we did win were, were low-scoring games. Uh, I think they are both 3-2. And and the, and the three games we lost were you know six five ten seven and I forget what the other game was it was it was a big high score as well and and that was completely the reverse of what you know the 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 to our style of play and what we were known for is that you know uh, you know people thought if 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 there's going to be a high scoring game likely the Oilers are going to win it uh, but you know we. Uh, we learned to play a little better defense. Unfortunately, we didn't do it consistently in that particular playoff series because we, we were down. Uh, we we lost um, uh, a game one split at home. Yep, lost game one. Yes, we, we lost game one, and then we went in, and then we played a good discipline game two to win the hockey game. And then we went in and crushed them for two periods in Los Angeles in game three. And, I, you know, I think where the experience comes in after the fact is knowing that you know, we probably, a lot of us were sitting in the dressing room after the second period of game three thinking, well, this game's over. Now we just have to win. You know, now we got the series. Uh, we control our own destiny going back on home ice. And, and of course, we, we blew the game. So then we had to really dig in and, and play a hell of a game to win game four. And again, I, th- I mean, I'm, I'm echoing my sentiment, not so much my teammates, but I suspect it was, it was fairly consistent amongst the group. After we won game four in Los Angeles, we're heading back to Edmonton. It was like, you know, in fact, we talked about this in the dressing room before game four saying, hey, we just have to win tonight and then we'll win the series. We'll go home and win. And, and I, you know, on the way home, the, you know, for game five, I think all of us thought, well, we're going we're gonna to win the series now and we'll go on because, you know, that's our fate. And, of course, learn again, no, no, it just doesn't happen that easy. So, uh, you know, Terry Jones' uh, national um, headline was weak need wimps. Uh, so uh, <laughs> I think it resonated with us, and uh, it, was a, it was a valuable learning lesson. There was another learning lesson, Kevin, the next year. I mean, you guys, you guys had a real good run in the 83 playoffs, and then you ran up against the Islanders. And there's the infamous story, and maybe you can educate our younger listeners on this, about walking past the Islanders' room after they had won the Cup and seeing how beat up and how much commitment they had shown to win. Yeah, so the story goes, um, actually I'll set the scene a little bit. 
I, I suppose that, you know that was the Oilers, or rather the Islanders' fourth cup in a row. So four straight years in the Stanley Cup Finals, and then I believe in the prior years uh, before their cup runs in '80, you know they had some, you know they had some tough playoff series uh, against the Flyers and and the Penguins, and they had some learning lessons as well. And and so the story is, and it actually happened. Um, you know we got swept by the Islanders in in that first final playoff series in 1983, and after Game Four on on Long Island at the Nassau County Coliseum, you know, Wayne and I were walking a couple of the last to leave the dressing room, all, you know, with our suits on, walking out, feeling, you know, relatively fresh, not all that beat up, to be honest. And we happened to look into the Islanders' dressing room and the door was wide open. And, and uh, you know, there wasn't a lot of fanfare. There wasn't a lot of people in the dressing room other than some of the players were still sitting in, you know their hockey underwear, and some of them still had their skates on, and and you could see that they, they just about every player had ice packs on their shoulders, and some guys had it on their knees, and you know on their wrists, and and you know the the subliminal message was whole, oh, you know I guess that's what it takes because we were all dressed and out of the dressing room in no time, you know, getting on with our summer, disappointed of course, but maybe not really understanding the sacrifice you have to pay. Uh, to win a Stanley Cup, so uh, needless to say, we another learning lesson for us. Did that make it that much sweeter the next year, Kevin? In 1984, and you guys started a tradition that year. You celebrated in style. You went all in. I mean, the younger fans today think of Alexander Ovechkin. You guys were doing that 30 years ago. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, the win, uh, you know, winning your first Cup, you know, you grow up dreaming of it. The NHL does a magnificent job now, uh, you know, with social media, and, and you see the Cup much more. I mean, for us growing up, the only time you saw really saw the Stanley Cup was when it was presented on the ice, and then then you'd never see it again. It was it was it was this magical trophy that wow, when it did pop out, and and you know, to to think of that that first time we were actually in, I believe it was May nineteenth, nineteen eighty four, when when the cup was actually rolling out on the ice at Northlands Coliseum. And, you know, it, again, another surreal experience um, for all of us. Uh, and I, I think for Edmontonians in general, thinking, wow, just five years earlier, the Oilers were granted an NHL franchise. And, and now, you know, the Stanley Cup's being uh, carried out on the ice. And then uh, to your point, yeah, we certainly did uh, – did uh, celebrate. It's an amazing trophy. Uh, it it it's it's a an instant um, uh, it's an instant party the second you bring it out anywhere. I remember Mark and I. Mark wanted to go to the Bruin Inn in St. Albert's, and we we went there in the afternoon, and there there might have been two people in the place, and you know within less than a half hour the the place was packed because obviously, and this is long before cell phones and right. text messaging. Uh, that you know the and both of us looked at one another going well interesting how full it got so quick and we better get out of here fairly quick because we might not be able to get out of here tonight so uh there was lots of that uh it you know everybody had their fun with it uh, i don't think um you know the there was any disrespect of the trophy uh but uh it made it to a lot of different places in and around the city you guys shared it. I mean, I, I saw it, and I also was from the school that you left. You, you know, you left the stars alone. 
You weren't a hanger on. And you know what? Sometimes guys sent me drinks and I didn't even ask for them. But it just worked out that way because you guys were cognizant of who was it trying to get in your face. We're joined by Kevin Lowe. Kevin, what was it? You know, so, you know, in, in the mid-80s, you're rolling with Wayne Gretzky. You've got the this electrifying, you know, superstar team with multiple potential Hall of Famers down the road. What was it like traveling with Wayne at that time? Uh, you know, you were very close to him. You used to live with him at one time. But rolling with those guys back in the day, especially when you guys went out east into places like Toronto and Montreal, how big of a deal was it? It was really big. Um, you know, it was, you know, Wayne, how he handled it all was amazing. And, and I mean, still to this day, but he, he was just on a, another level in terms, like another four levels in terms of his celebrity. And that was the cool thing about our team, I believe, is that, you know, everybody accepted it and everybody understood and, and really, in some, in a lot of respects, really felt sorry for Wayne because his time was less private than all of ours we could roll into toronto and everybody wanted to see wayne so you know we could go out and have dinner and you know in in relative uh and and amenity and 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 uh, whereas wayne uh you know once he was in toronto in the big cities it was go time for him so uh you know i'm sure at the end of the day it it paid dividends to him in terms of you know his financial well-being but having said that it, it you know yeah, he was a young guy as well and probably just wanted to be left alone but knew that that was never going to happen as long as he was Wayne Gretzky. Uh, it was exciting. We, we took a lot of pride in rolling into the big cities. Uh, you know, Wayne's and the order's name would be, you know, headlines. Uh, we took a lot of pride in, in, in wanting to put on a show and, you know, wanting, you know, not so much uh, to to prove that, you know, hey, there's more than Wayne Gretzky on this team. It was really just a in support of of what is you know a good opportunity to see showtime they used to call the la lakers showtime but i I believe the edmonton oilers when they rolled in there was a lot of showtime and particularly we went to toronto because i you know wayne's numbers are off the chart in terms of his point production in in maple leaf gardens uh it's you know i i want to say he averaged almost uh well over two points almost three points a game on the road in that building so uh, it, 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 you know, great memories. Um, we, we all took a lot of pride. Everybody had, you know, their opportunity. No one, no one was, was, uh, uh, no one, um, uh, fought any less of Wayne because of, of his stardom. In fact, we, we, we wanted to support him as much as we could. That is Kevin Lowe, Bob Stoffer as part of the Oilers now legends of the game series presented by touchback safety. Uh, it's it's interesting, and I'll speak for myself here for a minute and just saying how cool it is to listen to the old stories as told by those people, as told by the people that were there, not somebody's diluted recount, not, you know, this is this is the real deal. And Kevin Kevin Lowe is so well-spoken and, and insightful. And you go back and find this on YouTube. I mean, listen to the way that he talked even when he was a player in the mid-'80s. He's always kind of been this same way. So to look at his career trajectory and seeing that he stepped right out of playing into a coaching role, into a head coaching role, and, and into a GM role all in a matter of, like, three seasons, uh, you know, that takes a, a special kind of person and and Bob mentioned it yesterday I believe on the show you wonder what the franchise would look like today 
if Kevin Lowe had been at the helm of, of some of the hockey operation decisions for a stretch of time where he, he maybe wasn't. We got a text in here from uh, Oil Fan Forever. He says, I love the show. Kevin Lowe was a class act. My son and I got to meet him a couple years ago in Spruce Grove at uh, Rogers uh, Hometown Hockey Series. We both have autographed photos now on our walls. Kevin's one of my favorite all-time Oilers, and he's always repre- represented the city well and the team well. And that just, uh, you know, it's amplified by the fact that he's still here. He's still a part of the organization despite such a tough decade plus. So you got to tip the cap. You can't say the same thing about uh, you can't say the same thing about all the Oilers alumni. It's kind of a, as simple as it is, and that's not to disrespect anybody. But Kevin's just been such a, f- a focal point of the franchise for uh, for a number of years now. And as as somebody who was a part of that a part of that era, but wasn't really a points producer too. Uh, Bob mentioned uh, before he had to pass the phone off that he was talking about uh, an all underrated team. And Kevin Lowe, he might not get as much credit as he deserves for what he does uh, here in Edmonton. We're going to get back to that conversation uh, on the other side. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Yeah. You know you need protein to fuel results, but it's not easy when you're drinking the same bland chalky shake every day. Stop punishing yourself and get to GNC for the best protein in the game, including all the hottest brands and crave-worthy flavors that'll keep you coming back for more. We're talking protein that legit tastes like cookies, your favorite cereals, indulgent desserts, and more. So bust out of your protein rut and actually look forward to those shakes with unbeatable protein at unbeatable prices. Fuel your fitness with protein at GNC. Side of a global news weather traffic update with Carrie McCarthy. It is Brendan Escott sitting in today on Oilers Now. 6.30 Chad and the Edmonton Oilers Hockey Club present the show that is everything Oilers. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Brought to you by Digitex. Office supplies at huge savings. Yeah, Digitex does that. D-I-G-I-T-E-X dot C-A. On Oilers Radio. 6.30 Chad. It is Brendan Escott here with you, 106 in the city of Edmonton. Oilers now brought to you by Digitex. Buy or lease your next office network printer from the Digitex.ca e-commerce store. No need to spend your valuable time meeting with door-to-door sales reps. Your all-in-one convenient location is Digitex.ca, Alberta's number one owned and operated place to buy office technology, software, IT, and supplies. You can call us on our River Cree Resort Casino hotline, 780-496-0063, and keep those texts coming as well. 630-630 is the heartland. Ford text line. With over $10 million in new and pre-owned inventory, they're one of the largest volume Ford dealers in Alberta. Experience the difference of Heartland Ford. Let's not waste any time with this one either. Let's get right back into it. It's the Legend of the Game series presented by Touchback Safety. Bob Stoffer, Kevin Lowe in conversation yesterday. Here we go. So, Kevin, the Oilers lose to Calgary in 1986. I mean, the 85 team for me, an electrifying team. You lit up the Flyers. It was a time warp. That team that you played on could have played today in the NHL, and the Flyers were a little bit like a team from the late 70s in, in their approach. But it, you, you're going for the 3 P. You lose to the Flames, the Steve Smith goal. 
your your bitter rival, which we'll talk about briefly a little bit later. But you bounce back and win in '87, and I got I, I, we've had this conversation before. You guys had an amazing team in 1987. Was that the best of the Oilers teams, in your opinion? Yes, and and uh, that's what Wayne and I thought. Um, you know, when when the when the fan voting was going on for the Centennial's greatest team, uh, we thought for sure that it would be the '87 team. You know, the '85 team was 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 quite good as well. Um, but uh, I think when uh, you know when Glenn made the trades uh, at the deadline that particular year and brought in the players he did, uh, Kent Nielsen. And uh, he brought in Ray Retzelain, and yeah. once again, I mean, Nielsen was just, you know, his nickname was Magic, but he really was Magic with, with Glenn Anderson and Mark Messi on that line. And to think to have, you know, what teams can you think of that have, you know, essentially two number one lines, and one every bit as good as the other. So, uh, and then, you know, still had Paul Coffey in defense and Grant Fear and Andy Mogan in the Nets. It's, uh, you know, it's 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 no wonder that well that team, although it wasn't voted the Centennial's greatest team, I think it was in the top uh, five or six uh, in in fan vote. So uh, it 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 got its recognition, but uh, it was tough losing to Calgary uh, again. Probably another lesson along the line. It, you know, if we had a one our third in a row that particular year, who knows? Maybe you know, maybe we don't win four in a row. So. I think the loss in 86 really helped us to buckle down again and sort of uh, refocus. I, I really do believe that we lost. I mean, the Flames were a good team, and I don't want to take anything away from them. But I, I do believe as a team we weren't quite as disciplined as we had been in previous years. And that subtle shift of focus, I think, was enough to open you know a crack in the door to allow the Flames to beat us. Um how bittersweet was it for you to sit there and watch, you know, Steve Smith after what happened in 86 and Steve etched out a marvelous career for himself, real testament to his character. But I just remember him getting that cup. I mean, that had to have jacked all. I mean, you know what? We saw it with St. Louis, right? They gave it to uh, Jay Bomeister. He got the cup, uh, you know, after uh, Petrangelo, you know, passed it to Jay Bomeister. Guy had been there a long time. And conversely, Steve Smith had endured so much the year before. That was a pretty cool moment. Yeah, and again, typical of Wayne to think of that. Uh, he was always just, again, another level in terms of, you know, how he viewed the game. Uh, his, his you know, knowledge of, of, of everything going on around him, uh, not too much uh, he missed. And, uh, yeah, it, it, it was special. I think, for, again, for me, I'll speak for myself, but, you know, when you win that many times, it's, it's it's it gets to be actually not so much jubilation it gets to be more relief than anything you know uh and relief in the sense that well you just don't have to answer any questions after you win there's no questions answered because you won whereas you know you can go to the stanley cup finals and there's you know there's disappointment or you can make it to the playoffs and lose in the second round and there's you you always got to face the media and answer questions but when you when you when you, they hand you the cup at the end of the game on that last game, there's no more questions to answer. When you uh, you know you mentioned how you know everybody says winning the first one's the biggest one for your group in 1992 of one without Wayne. 
because nobody thought that was possible. Even though, you know what, you guys were really good right around Christmas time that year. Like, I thought you were maybe the best team in the league. I remember Don Sherry saying, um, in, you know, like December of 1989, I remember him saying, this team is going to win the Stanley Cup, the Edmonton Oilers. Uh, for you guys, did it, you know, does it even further enhance the reputation of the Oilers' legacy of the 80s, given the fact that you won a championship without the greatest player in the history of the game? Uh, I'm not sure. For real hockey enthusiasts, they, they they would know that the Oilers won a cup without Wayne. But but I think generally speaking, and you know, traveling the world, you know, particularly in the states, uh, a lot of people, you know, when they, you know, they they'll they'll say, well, how many cups do you have? And I say, I have six. And how many does Wayne Gretzky have? Four. Well, how's that possible? <laughs> he won all those cups in Edmonton. Well, no, actually, he got traded in '88. So, you know, at the end of the day, it, it, it really doesn't matter. But having said that, I, I, think, I, I think in 89, you know, when we lost to Los Angeles that particular year, and if you remember, we were up 3-1 in the series. Yeah. Um, we, I think we just, I think, I think in general, uh, Wayne being traded took, took the air out of the room. And it, it took us a whole year to sort of, uh, well, not sort of, it took us, a, I think, a whole year for us to get get the drive back up again as a group. I mean, we didn't have, I, I, I don't want to say we were just going through the motions, but as a group, I just don't think the, the, that the desire and energy that we had in other years to win wasn't there in 89. And, and then, of course, losing to the Kings, I think, you know, it's a little bit like those, some of those other lessons that we had in 82 to the to the Kings and, you know, uh, 83 to the Islanders and 86 to the Flames. It, it kind of was like, wow, we, you know, we're, you know, we got to, we got to get back to proving ourselves again. And, you know, and we had an excellent performance to be able to win the fifth cup in, in 90, but I think the team in 89 was just as good. So, and when you would think of the Oilers' legacy, and I tell this to people often, so if you look at, you know, the team that lost the Cup in 83, then won in 84 and 85, could easily have won in 86, won in 87, 88, had a good enough team to win in 89, won in 90, and then you think when the players started to be dispersed, you had Wayne Gretzky and Charlie Huddy and Yari Curry in Los Angeles yeah. uh, that lost in the finals in 93. And then you have all those ex-Oilers in New York that won the cup in 94. So from 83 to 94, um, you know, the legacy of that core group of the Oilers were in and around the Stanley Cup pretty much every year. Kevin Lowe. Uh, so it really in, Sorry. speaks to the group. First, the bad news. SAP Business AI won't help you generate cubist versions of your family's holiday photos. But it will help you understand which supplier is best to help you roll out your plant-based packaging in Southeast Asia. Or identify the training your junior project manager needs to rise up the ranks. And automate repetitive tasks while you focus on big innovations. So you can be ready for the next opportunity. Revolutionary technology. Real-world results. That's SAP Business AI. It's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, 
It's only a tackle, a run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. There is more coming up with Kevin Lowe uh, after we take a quick pause here. It's Brendan Escott in today on Oilers Now. This is Legends of the Game on Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Only on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. Get right back to it. Bob Stoffer, Kevin Lowe, the Legends of the Game series. Kevin, just a couple more questions on your playing day. Uh, the, you mentioned you played the Kings four years in a row in the playoffs. Who was the more bitter rival? Calgary? Uh, you know, the Battle of Alberta. I mean, there was some legendary, uh, you swept them in 88. You went seven with them in 91. Uh, uh, you know, of course, you, you you had Kings, both Calgary and the end, the Kings beat you, you mentioned, 86 and 89. Marty McSorley provided a different angle. You had the brawl in 1990, one of the, I think one of the greatest, most important winter hockey games of all time. So who, which rivalry was more bitter, the one with Calgary or the one with L.A.? Well, and I'd even throw Winnipeg in there, to be honest, because uh, they had some really good teams, and, and some of those series were pretty vicious. They didn't get as much uh, airplay, I guess, uh, as as the Calgary battles, but but Winnipeg, they were tough, really tough series. Um, uh, you know, when you're in the Stanley Cup playoffs and and you're playing for that cup, uh, it, it uh, and I don't think anything's changed, to be honest. I'm not on the ice anymore to, to actually experience, but I suspect that the, the level of intensity and aggression uh, for everybody chasing that same dream is, is as high as it's ever been. So it's, it's, uh, it's great to be a part of. It's, you better have your, your A game and your, your, you, know, you better be ready to go to battle uh, if, if you expect to have any success in the Stanley Cup playoffs. And, and battle we did against, you know, the likes of Los Angeles and Calgary and Winnipeg within our own division, you know, back in the 80s. This is the Legends of the Game series. Our guest is Kevin Lowe. Kevin, uh, you recently had a reunion, 25th uh, anniversary of the New York Rangers winning the Stanley Cup in 1994. What was that experience like for you to be a part of that group? Uh, seven former Edmonton Oilers players uh, on that team, coached by Mike Keenan. Yeah, the... Well, New York is New York City. That is is a pretty interesting place. I mean, it's, it's I really enjoyed my time there. Uh, I like to you know think that I had an opportunity to live in that city and get to know it. Uh, the Rangers hadn't won a cup in 54 years. The last time was 1940, prior to the, us winning in '94. So, and they had a lot of good teams. You know, in the '70s with Rattel and Gilbert, uh, Eddie Jockman, and then. Um, you know, later in the in the 70s, they they got to the Stanley Cup Finals with a, with a younger team. But it it was it was nice to be able to deliver a championship, be a part of the you know uh, of a group that hadn't uh, it was able to you know 54 years that hadn't been done before. Uh, I know Mike Keenan was in there as our coach, and and he really talked about uh, slaying the demons. You know, there always seemed to be a reason why New York couldn't win. And, uh, you know, it, it feels special to have been a part of that. It was, you know, it was a nice departure from, from what we experienced in, in Edmonton. And, um, you know, it was special for Mark particularly. Uh, um, again, 
validating his place in history and and really put an exclamation point on wow this guy needs to be talked about and in in the top three to five greatest players of all time uh i'm not sure he necessarily gets that recognition but certainly been spoken about as being you know not only the greatest leader in hockey but the greatest leader in professional sports in north america uh one of the few captains to win you know on on two different teams and 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 not just play a you know a veteran part playing a a leadership superstar part so that that was really special to be with him there and to be able to help bring that to to uh you know to his legacy and and uh help bring a championship to new york i'm gonna put you on the spot here so uh you know grant fear paul coffee wayne gretzky mark messier uh yari curry glenn anderson should kevin Lowe be in the hockey hall of fame you know, I, I never, to me, the Hockey Hall of Fame is about, you know, the real superstars of the game, which I never was. Um, so I don't, I mean, I don't even really think about it, to be honest. I think those names were super, are superstars, were superstars, and they belong there. You know, where it gets a little skewed and a little clouded is that there's there's names in there that weren't really superstars. You know, the, the mandate was different decades ago. Right. And uh, so, but, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't trade the Hockey Hall of Fame in for my six cups for anything. So I'll just leave it at that. All right. Uh, let me ask you this. I, I had some of your former players and, and different guys, guys that, you know, were universally loved by their teammates and other guys that were seen as selfish teammates. And they've, they've all, lots of guys have said the same thing. Kevin Lowe was a really good coach. You only coached for one year. Would it, would it have just driven you nuts if you'd coach longer, or was it, you know, more about the? Was it more? Have you ever thought what would have happened if you would have coached more than one year in the NHL as a head coach? Just yeah, good question. Just in the the last couple of years, I started thinking about it. When I see a guy like Joel Quenville, right, legendary coach, good guy, uh, we're both the same age. I think that, you know, you know, maybe I should have stayed on that path. You know, uh, perhaps I'd still be coaching. Who knows? Uh, I, but at the time, the transition to general manager was just, it seemed to be so natural. You know, Mac T was, uh, was ready to be a head coach. Uh, Glenn was leaving. Uh, I, I knew that, you know, although lots of guys did both jobs, I knew that it wasn't you know, wasn't uh, a reality for me to consider being general manager and head coach at the same time. And, uh, you know, I enjoyed the challenge. It was, it was fun and, and I never regretted it for a moment. And I still, you know, I still don't regret having jumped from coach to general manager, but I do think, uh, as I mentioned, I started thinking, well, I did enjoy coaching and, and, and definitely coaching, is the second best position in the game of hockey besides playing and being the general manager is, is, is still an honor, but it's, it's not nearly as, as enjoyable as coaching and playing. So, um, but I, I, I don't for a second want to get behind the bench. I've, I, you know, I had uh, 40 plus years in and around the game and, and that's been great. And I'm, you know, I'm honored to be, you know, uh, helping out OEG on, you know, more of an ambassador, uh, position and on the business side of things and and uh don't for a second ever wake up thinking oh i'd like to get behind the bench or i want to be general manager again because 
Uh, not that I've been there, done that uh, is my approach to, or my rationalization is just, you know, every, every dog has its day. And I think, my, you know, my days, my days are over from, from, from the playing and the coaching and the managing perspective. Well, Kevin, you're talking to a dog that wants that day. <laughs> I got to ask you a couple questions about managing the team. Uh, Ken Holland came aboard here and talked about the grind, and you got to grind, and you got to grind. And all I could think about is the financial challenges the EIG had 2000 until the lockout. But you did some of your best work during that time. You guys really did have to master sort of bargain basement shopping because of the financial limitations. Do you think that's a fair assessment? Oh, no question. I, I, I'm not sure that there was many, if any, teams that had a lower payroll than us. Um, and and I, you know, I'm, I'm not looking at the numbers, but we certainly... But, you know, we never... It wasn't really till the end when the, when the lockout became more obvious. Traveled a lot with Cal Nichols and Patrick Forge, and and we really felt that if there wasn't a change in the economic system, that that well, it, it you know I'm not sure I would have continued on uh, because it was it, we got to that point that you felt like you had one hand t- tied behind your back. You know, you rolled into Dallas. And they'd have a seventy-five million dollar payroll when ours was twenty-five, and and it's not always about the money, but you just knew that you're always, you know, one star, two stars short of actually winning, and that that was quite evident in all those those series. And then when we actually did, you know, did organically grow our own players and guys like Dougie Waite, uh, you know, Billy Guerin, uh, and and you know, had to move away from those guys because their salaries were just going to get too expensive. So um, those are fun years, but it's, you know, when you think back on it, it's all relative now. You know, I think if anybody that was a fan in that era thinking, oh, you know, yeah, the Oilers make the playoffs, but, you know, they only won one round. And, and now with what's gone on in recent years, you know, everybody would 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 give a lot to get back to that era where, yeah, that team wasn't a star-studded, but they were blue-collar, and they they gave everything they had. They laid it on the line, you know, Jason Smith and and you know and Ryan and 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 I'm trying to think of some of the names of the players. How about an underrated guy? How about how about Alice yeah, Hemsky? Well, how about Hemsky? That you drafted him. He's yeah, right. Yeah, Hammer Hammer was a skilled guy. Hammer was underrated. Uh, not a physical guy, you know. I, I kind of see in social media people knocking him about his body language, but we never questioned Hemmer stepping up in the big games ever. And you know that's the problem with with sports today is that there's there's so much there's so many people analyzing every move these guys make. Right. I mean, if social media hadn't been around in the '80s. You know, Glenn Anderson probably wouldn't have been a. You know, people might have attacked him more because Andy had had the. You know, uh, he had the tendency to drift off in within within games in the regular season. But having said that, there wasn't a, an Oiler that you that didn't bring it to the table. You know, any better than Glenn Anderson to score big goals, and and so back to Hemmer, Alice Hemsky. I never questioned him in any of the big games. And when you think back when when the Flames were and the Oilers were going at it in that particular era, and, you know, Robin Regeer was playing left side for the Flames, and he would pound Hemsky night after night, and so did Darian Hatcher, and so did all the, uh, the big defensemen in our division and conference. 
and Hemmer would just keep he would keep taking it down the wall and keep taking it to the net. Uh, so I I admire the guy. I I, I I don't question Hemmer's ability. He would have fit fine on any of those Stanley Cup teams, and and probably played a significant role. He would have looked great with Messi and Anderson, <laughs> uh, and I'm sure you know uh, his. His place in hockey history would have, you know, I mean, it's just, it speaks to timing, right? I mean, Hammer wasn't necessarily a driver on a top team, but he certainly would be a heck of a compliment on a really good team. Well, I think you know my feelings on him. I think he was a heck of a player. Our Legends of the Game conversation continues after a global news weather traffic update. We return to Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Brought to you by Digitex. Service for all brands of print equipment in your office? Yeah, Digitex does that. D-I-G-I-T-E-X dot C-A. On Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. It is 134 in Edmonton. Brendan Escott here today on Oilers Now. Got to tell you that some guests of the show receive gift certificates to Roos Chris Steakhouse. Follow the sizzle to Alberta's own Roos Chris Steakhouse, 9990 Jasper Avenue. Tell Maggie and the staff that Oilers Now sent you. This is, uh, we're wrapping it up with this conversation of Legends of the Game series with uh, Kevin Lowe, recorded yesterday. He's down in California right now, I understand. But uh, we'll get right back to it. Bob with Kevin. Lockout, and we have a cap system, and suddenly teams have to uh, make moves. And on back-to-back days, you get Chris Pronger and Mike Peckett. Were you thinking to yourself three years earlier, there's no way this would have ever happened before and just i mean the craziness we're getting chris pronger here well it was it was not so crazy because we could see the economics we knew that uh from our observations where teams had got themselves in a jackpot there was going to be a rollback in salaries and there was going to be a, a hard cap it became more and more evident and just looking at everybody's numbers, we knew that there was going to be players available because team, it's you know not unlike what happens today, teams got to make moves, and that was you know right from the very first year, <clears throat> we had prepared ourselves uh, as an organization to be to be have a little bit of cash. Uh, we also had the the, the luxury of that twenty eight percent rollback on contracts, and lastly. Uh, because the you know led by Cal Nichols as chairman at the time, and 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 Patrick LaForge as president, you know our public position was that if there is a new system, it's going to be good for the Edmonton Oilers and we'll be able to compete. So, you know, it, it was designed. We weren't going to just roll out of the into the new system and and just you know chug along the way we had been. We knew that we had to make a statement because our credibility was on the line, and uh, you know, it, it uh, luckily it unfolded that we we're able to get Pronger and and Pekka, and you know, and although Pekka didn't have a great regular season, he certainly performed in the playoffs, and and you know, the it we we're within a uh, an unfortunate goalie injury to, from winning another Stanley Cup. Yeah, but uh, you know, I mean, that's what Oiler fans today, that was generation, remember that and. Let's hope we can get back to it one of these days. When you did trade uh, Pronger a, a year later, of course, you, you were on my old show, and uh, Brian had been making some comments about your, uh, actually it was two years later, the offer sheet on Dustin Penner and that sort of thing, and 
You know, it got a little crazy there for a while. Now, of course, as you know, Kevin, Brian Burke is a regular in Oilers now. Um, sometimes tragedy brings out the best in people, doesn't it? And and finds ways to build bridges. And you guys have patched it all up between you and Brian. Is that, uh, is that a fair assessment? Absolutely, yeah. No, it was <laughs> it was funny times. I mean, it, uh, it 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 was serious, but you know, I think we're both sane enough, uh, thinking people that not sure. Well, who knows? <laughs> not sure. Uh, <laughs> having said that, who knows what would happen? But I remember Dean Lombardi uh, having a conversation with him during all that time, and 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 Dean, uh, who's a funny character saying to me saying well you, you know that you that thing with you and Berkey that's just a joke isn't it like that you guys are just that's you're putting it on I go no Dean that no it's it's real and Dean's going like seriously and I go yeah you know let's not get into it kind of thing and uh but to, to your point about tragedy um it was when Brian's son passed away and uh, Steve Tambellini phoned me the next day and he said you know Berkey's looking to talk to you and I go oh, I wonder what the heck he wants to talk to me about and and um, I don't think he'll mind sharing this. Uh, you know, uh, uh, I don't think he meant to be private, but uh, his son had always, he, they had had conversations about what was going on between Brian and I, and his son thought it was really petty and that, you know, he, you know, that his dad and I, and, and I should, you know, you know, be bigger people than, than we were being perceived as. And so, uh, and Brian and his son had had a number of conversations. So uh, after his, his son's unfortunate uh, car accident, uh, the very next day, Brian said, "You know, this is this is something my son wanted me to do, and I just want to say that, you know, uh, you know that I and I can't even remember what he said. It wasn't apologizing because it wasn't his fault, but just that we should get over this, both of us. And you know, do you accept that? And I said, Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, it was." You know, it was a tough conversation, and we probably would have got there eventually, anyways. But uh, but it uh, was fast forwarded by the unfortunate news of his son's passing. Yeah. Uh, by the way, Dustin Penner RFA offer sheet, the last successful offer sheet in NHL history. He had 93 goals in less than four seasons for you. He wasn't that bad of a free. And you got a first rounder that turned out to be Oscar Clefbaum back in the trade when Tamalini moved him to LA. A, fi- a final one here for you, Kevin, and I'm going to put you a bit on the spot. Um, well, obviously, we know you know the, the Pronger trade and the uh, you know the Ryan Smith trades, and those were difficult trades in '06 and '07. Uh, how close was the organization to getting Eric Lindros? And part two, was there a trade that didn't get through that maybe involved players that are today retired? that you almost did, that you think back and go, I wonder what would have happened if we ended up doing this. So we'll start with Lindros. I know you guys pursued him. I forget if it was the summer of 2000 or 2001, one of those years. Maybe it was 02. Uh, he'd had some concussion issues at that stage. Yeah, I, you know, I can't remember, to be honest, the specifics of, of Eric Lindros. Um, that one I'll have to dig through my notes, but I, I know we were trying to make a deal. And there was always, we were always trying to be, you know, think boldly and make bold moves. As Craig McTavish said, uh, yeah. you know, I was on uh, Yarmir Yager when he was over in the KHL and, and, you know, we thought we had, uh, well, we were very close to consummating a deal. 
Uh, as it turns out, he ended up staying in the KHL, but th- that would have been kind of interesting. I mean, he, he still had a little gas left in the tank as, as, as it proved, uh, sure. as we were looking at him probably 12 years ago. Yeah. Um, I mean, the one guy is, is Corey Perry for Mike Comrie that never happened. And, and that was, again, was, it you know, unfortunate if it had been different, uh, and Daryl Cates had been owner, the owner. We and it wasn't the AIG's fault. We just didn't have it in our budget to to make the trade for Corey Perry. This is before he had started with the Ducks, right? And uh, so, he had a big signing bonus of a million dollars to come in. We you know we didn't have the money, uh, but Corey Perry would have been an Edmonton Oiler. Yeah. Um, so I mean, we that you know verbally with Brian. Um. um you would with uh, I'm trying to I'm sorry his name escapes me now I'm, I'm having a senior moment with, Brian Murray uh, past, yeah Brian Murray sorry Brian I should who's since passed away you know Brian was the general manager in Anaheim and we had a we had an understanding of a deal that was be done and the only thing holding back was that you know we didn't have the money for Corey Perry so that one really sticks out um, I can't think of Jared you know, Jared stole more for- offensive. What about, uh, you know, Jarrett Stoll for Tuomo Rutu? Wasn't that a possibility at one time with Chicago when the Hawks were going through a bit, some challenges in about 05, 06? And around that, maybe, it, I think it was you 06, must, 07. You must have had some, uh, you must have been tapping my office or something. <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> or that was when you were hoping it was going to happen. But, uh, no, I liked, yeah. Jarrett. I liked Jarrett Stoll. He's a great guy. <laughs> Stoli was a Stoli, I, you know, that's a deal in hindsight that I regret. Jared Stoll and Matt Green for Lubomore Visnowski because the thing, so the motivation to do that deal was we needed a power play guy. We yep. needed a guy, and Visnowski was a legit power play guy, and it looked like, you know, the rest of the team could fill in. You know, Matt Green, um, uh, you know, the, the players have strengths and deficiencies, and we went over, over all that stuff. And it, you know, it seemed like a move that we was necessary for the team. In hindsight, the thing that that we we lost was we lost two really quality people. Yeah. Hockey players, you know, average to good hockey players, uh, not great hockey players. But when you start chipping away at that at, at the, you know, and, and I know a lot of naysayers, you know, poo poo the idea of character. But hey, if you want to win in this business, you got to have tons of it. And when we started losing guys like that, then I think that was at the beginning of the end of, you know, that legacy of the Oilers having tons of character. And, you know, I'm not blaming on Lubomir Visnovsky. He was a bit of a, you know, uh, there's, there's guys in pro sports that are like that. They come and play and they don't really invest in the team or the city. And, and you know, he was one of those guys. So that that's one trade that I think really hurt us. Um, you know, in terms of the long-term success of the team. And it's no wonder that, you know, the Kings went on and won a couple of cups with those guys in the lineup. Again, they weren't the drivers of the team, but they were good comrade right. players and good guys in the dressing room. This is Legends of the Game on Oilers Now with Bob Soffer. Only on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. 146 at Edmonton. We're going to wrap up this conversation. Our Legends of the Game series for our friends at Touchback Safety, Alberta's number one training provider. It is Kevin Lowe, Bob Stoffer on the home stretch. You briefly alluded to the here and now. And uh, Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisettle, these guys are special, special players. 
it's, I mean, Leon last year, the only player in the league that had 50 goals and 100 points. Connor is Connor. Uh, despite the challenges of the last two years, there's still a lot to look forward to in oil country, isn't there? Yeah, there sure is. Um, I mean, I, I know that fans, Oiler fans, are they're in a wait-and-see mode, and that's understandable what's gone on. But I, I really, from what I see from my vantage point at 30,000 feet, uh, you mentioned those two guys, and, and I think they're at a stage now where they, you know, they're tired uh, of not, uh, well, they've been personally successful, but they want to start winning. They want to play deep in the playoffs. And as do many other players, I think the complement of the group is has been fortified by the work that Kenny Holland did, even though his hands were tied uh, a fair amount in, in doing what he did. He made lots of change, uh, I think lots of positive change. And, and uh, I don't think we're as far as people think we are, but I guess uh, you know that'll unfold as this season unfolds. But, I, I mean, from what I see, I see this. It, did, it wasn't going to take a lot to change the team, and if, if some of uh, you know Kenny's subtle moves, uh, you know, unfold or pan out the way we hope, the way as an Oilers fan would want to hope, I, I think it's going to be a fun uh, and it's going to be a successful year. The, one of the advantages that uh, I lied, I got one more question for you. One of the advantages that Ken has, with all due respect to maybe the challenge that Pete uh, Shirelli had, there wasn't a secondary wave of support players at that time. Like, I would not have ranked in 2015 the Oilers to be a top 10 farm system in the NHL. I think they're there right now. There's a lot of defensemen that are percolating uh, Tyler Benson, you know, uh, Yamamoto, maybe in a year from now forwards. You've seen a lot of these kids because Keegan, of course, uh, plays down in Bakersfield. Is is it? Am I off base there, or, or, or is the organization a different place maybe than it was about four years ago in terms of prospect depth and uh, you know some support players coming? Yeah, much much different place, and there was a focus. And in fairness to Peter uh, Shirelli. Um, the team made some decisions to move picks to try to get better quick when Connor came on board. Um, that was a strategy, you know, and, and, and unfortunately it didn't, it didn't pan out. Uh, it, it, you know, in, in, in hindsight, I think, um, I think anybody would have done the similar thing in the same position, but, but in the grand scheme of things, you, you, you just cannot trade your draft picks away until you're re- really ready to, to take a run, yeah, and and uh, so I think it, it really hurt it, it hurt the team. There wasn't any players coming up for the minors. That's changed. Are any of those players going to come up and and you know be a, a Logan Couture that was for San Jose coming out of the minors? Probably not. But there's going to be good complement players to help with there, and that's all that's really missing. I mean, heck, everybody can dissect last year's team, and it was the bottom six. And, and and probably you know bottom bottom pairing on defense and and goaltending which were the deficiencies and and I think with what uh, Bakersfield has had and will have in the coming years particularly on the on the defenseman side there's lots there and that just gives the general manager flexibility to make some moves move some guys are making more money uh, uh, and and pop in some younger guys at a lesser number that helps you you know find compliment players at a little higher number to fill in gaps where, where you're missing 
you know, potentially on the scoring side of the goaltending side. So it gives you the, the growth within the organization at the farm team level and within the depth uh, through draft picks really buys you collateral to, 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 to be stronger and, in, in, you know, overall. And I think that the team's ready to do that. Um, you know, Kenny's hanging on to his picks and that's, that's how he made his career and his, his legacy in Detroit. It's always been about drafting and developing. So uh, that's the formula long-term for success. Kevin, look, we just took an hour of your time. We really appreciate it, okay? My pleasure. It's always it's always fun to chat. He is the vice chair of the Oilers Entertainment Group, Kevin Lowe. That is our Oilers Now Legends of the Game series for our friends at Touchback Safety. It's Brendan Escott with you. 151 here in Edmonton. Got to tell you that Royal Pizza is pizza, pasta, and so much more. Edmonton owned and operated for 50 years. For menu and locations, visit royalpizza.ca or download the Royal Pizza app from the App Store. Well, they left on an interesting point there, didn't they? And even the most cynical, I believe, of Oilers fans has to know right now that the prospect depth, the farm system of this Oilers franchise is as good now as it's been in, what, 20 years, perhaps ever? And you look at what they did on the back end, and to those that poo-pooed the pick of Philip Broberg, I urge you to look at what Nashville was able to accomplish. They haven't had a cop out of it yet, but in terms of building around a core of, of young quality defenders, we've seen other teams do it and it's not necessarily a bad plan. So interesting stuff there in the in the shift in philosophy, if you will, to really wanting to put emphasis on getting those young players down in that system and letting them percolate. A few texts I want to get to here before we wrap the show on the Heartland Ford text line at 6.30, uh, Mark, the frustrated fan, is wondering, uh, he's been hearing about vacancy with the Minnesota Wild GM job. Not one mention of Keith Gretzky as a candidate. Why was Bob Nicholson lobbying so hard for this guy? Um, I don't know if they're even going to be granted permission to talk to him at this point. He's he's here. He's with the Oilers franchise. He has taken over the uh, oversight of the Bakersfield Condors. So I would imagine if any phone calls came in, to the Oilers head office asking about his services they would have been shut down very quickly don't forget this is the start of a new regime and Ken Ken Holland you know he's he's not a young spring chicken here either so could Keith Kretzky possibly be the replacement down the road is that the plan I don't know but I suggest to you that the Oilers aren't looking to let uh, Gretzky go and that's part of the reason why he's not being considered just my thoughts uh, both sunny in Vancouver, and uh, there's one more here that was asking about the w- what the deal for Sam Girard means for Darnell Nurse. So I want to quickly hit with my thoughts on this. So seven years for Sam Girard, uh, five million a year. What does this mean for Darnell Nurse? I am inclined to believe that Darnell Nurse and his camp are going to be more interested, obviously, in what Jacob Truba got done with the Rangers rather than what Sam Girard got done with Colorado. I don't, I just, I can't see a situation, especially because Nurse bet on himself with the bridge deal. I don't know if he's a $5 million a year defenseman. I think, he had, coming off a career year last year, don't forget, I think he he would likely believe that he's worth a lot more than that. And so, um, you know, we're going to find out after this year. This year will be an interesting situation to monitor with Darnell Nurse. But it's such a different structured contract from what Jacob Truba says. I don't know what the precedent is there right now. So we're going to wait and see. But 
If anything, it's made it really interesting. I'll ask you this. Who would you rather have on your NHL back end right now or even for the next couple of years, Darnell Nurse or Sam Girard? I think Girard's got a lot more to prove than Nurse at this point in his career. Let's check in on this day in Oilers history. It's a weird one. Back in 2001, after acquiring him from Chicago for Boris Miranov two years prior, the Oilers signed right-winger Dan Cleary to a three-year deal worth $2.7 million. Now, his contract was bought out the following year after a 17-point campaign in 2001-2002, and he went on to join the Detroit Red Wings and win the Stanley Cup in 2008. Full disclosure, I was not aware prior to finding that in the, in the, my research today that uh, Dan Cleary had a stint here. It was not a very productive one at all. Coming up tonight on 6.30 Chet Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Edmonton Eskimos offensive lineman Travis Bond and David Beard. Sounds like they're in studio. Edmonton Stingers forward and U of A Golden Bear alumnus Brody Clark will also be on talking basketball. That team 12-4, and four, a resurgence after a coaching change for the Edmonton Stingers. Tomorrow, Bob is back. Al May. You hear him regularly on this program. But you don't hear him in studio. That changes tomorrow. And we'll also check in with Dennis Laliberti from New West Travel. He's got another one of his uh, Oilers Now road trips that he wants to tell you all about. Always a pleasure, my friends. Up next, a global news weather traffic update with Kerry McCarthy, followed by the 6.30 Jet Afternoon News with Jalen Nye. Brendan Escott saying thanks for tuning in today. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer, Weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad.